Welcome to Getting Heated, the place to debate and discuss all things surf-related. Super Bowl weekend is here, which has us thinking. Will surfing benefit from having its own version of the Super Bowl Sunday? Also, find out if Mick and Ross are in favor of cutting down the number of surfers on tour. And do you need access to the ocean to be a pro surfer? Or will we see a new breed of wave pool surfers on tour? Plus, could the typical surfboard become obsolete to future generations? Finally, the legendary Tom Curran talks to us about Quiver, the championship tour, and his new film, Free Scrubber. It's a big show. Let's get it. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Getting Heated, the place for discussion, debate, and disputes on all things surf-related. I'm Dave Prodan, temporarily here moderating the true stars of the show, Cooling Gata's Mick Fanning and the North Shore's Ross Williams. Gentlemen, how are you today? Going great. Thanks, Dave. How are we going, Ross? Good to be here. Thanks, Mick. Dave, let's do it. So here in the United States, we are heading into Super Bowl weekend. Ross, how do you typically take in the biggest NFL game of the year? This is going to be a good year. We got um, Battle of the Quarterbacks. Uh, I think I want to say Kansas City is a small favorite. So I don't know. Should be a good one. Who you got, Dave? Geez, that's a good question. Um, I'll go with Kansas City as well. Mick, do you get into American football at all over the sea? I do. I do. I'm sort of, I'm not partial to any real team. You know, I don't cover the house in any colors or anything, but I just love sports. So I'll be watching for sure. Well, this actually brings us to our opening exchange for Heat One. With the Super Bowl weekend upon us, we're gearing up for a one-day battle to claim the undisputed gridiron title. And this relates to the redesign of the championship tour, which, for the first time in history, will decide its world champions in a one-day event, the WSL Finals, this September at Lower Trestle. Surfing now has its own version of Super Bowl Sunday. So the Heat One question is, is the WSL Finals a one-day winner-take-all event the way you want to see the world title get decided. Mick, as you've got some hardware in this space, why don't you start us off? Yeah, look, I think it's an incredible idea. Um, reason being, you know, we, we saw what happened, Italo versus Gabe, the whole world tuned in. Uh, and then we go back through the years, everyone knows where they were when those final days went on. Uh, on top of that, when the best surfers are going for a world title, who do they want to surf against? They want to be the best guys. And so I'm all for it. I think it's a great thing. I think it's something that is going to blow the minds of uh, not only the surfers involved, but fans and spectators alike. Yeah, I don't know. This is a, a weird one for me, Mick. Um, I do. I really do like the idea of having like a bunch of eyeballs on our sport um, in you know one day. I think that's going to do nothing but be a very cool thing to watch. You know, my, my problem with it, Mick, is anyone can get red hot in one day. I, that's what I struggle with. I would rather see maybe um, uh, one event to determine the world champion. Maybe we can have two or three days and, and have the best guys battle it out for a world title that way and sort of capture, a, a, you know, a Super Bowl event that way. But with just one day, uh, I don't know, it's it's going to be a very different world world champion. I don't feel like there's any more motivation than coming down to one day, uh, you know, being there in that in that sort of situation a few times it just it the rest of the year sort of just washes away and it's like all right today's the day 
and for someone like John to go up against the Gabe or an Idolo or a Geordie or a Philippe or, or any of one of that matter, I can see the motivation just go through the roof. And, and that's why I think it's going to be the most exciting event we'll ever see. Yeah, I, I, I think I heard you say this a couple episodes ago, Mick, where I want to wait and see what happens. Um, I think uh, everyone's going to you know, sort of be in the same boat to see how this plays out. There's so many scenarios where it could be a really awesome thing or it could be sort of a flat tire. Um, really depends on the waves. You know, we're going to lowers, right? Um, and lowers, we talked about this also a couple episodes ago where it's, it's you know, one of the best waves in the world to compete in, but it's, in my opinion, very specific. It's high performance. Um, it's not a powerful wave so you know it lacks the drama that say like west oz or uh, the north shore of hawaii or places like that have so um it's gonna be sort of this narrow window to determine a world champion for the whole year and that's where i get sort of hung up um maybe there's some sort of balance and we sort of evolve as this event pans out in front of us to see how it goes um and i, I i'm guessing that a multiple day one event to, to determine a world champion but a multi-day um, event, maybe a place like West Oz or North Shore where there's all kinds of conditions to throw at you. That could be interesting too. Look, best guys against each other all the time. I'm, I'm not opposed to that. Well, we're going to see it go down when the WSL finals arrives at Lower Trestles in September. And the evolution of the tour leads us straight into our topic for Heat 2. The sport of surfing is one that undergoes constant refinement, whether it's judging, schedules, event formats, you name it. And one hot button topic that continues to circulate is the sheer number of men and women on tour. Wildcards included, the fields are currently 36 men and 18 women. So for Heat 2, we are asking, should the number of surfers on the championship tour be cut down, thus eliminating some of the lower ranked competitors from the draw? Ross, what are your thoughts? You know, I. I think there's some nuance to this whole subject, right? Like I think there is probably a, a happy medium to where I think the goal is to, you know, have these events in one swell, right? A two day event, I feel like is probably the magic number. So if you have to, you know, chop a few guys off the cutting board to, to get to that magic number, I can see that. Um, I'd, I would hate to see a, a large number though be chopped. Like if we get down to 20 surfers or less on tour, to me, it feels a bit gimmicky, you know, because you're going to see so many re repetitive heat scenarios uh, where guys are matching up. It just doesn't feel like a tour. Um, and that's where, uh, you know, I just I'm not a fan of it. And not, not to mention, you know, there's been so many incredible wins over the years, Mick, of guys that were in the middle of the ratings or even lower, like Keanu Asing. Um, uh, we had William Cardoso, Seabass, Wilco, when he sort of made that major comeback. Uh, Jeremy Flores, all these guys were like way down in the ratings um, that potentially wouldn't be there in the draw if they had, a, you know, a, just a, a small batch of surfers fighting it all, all year long. Yeah, look, I'm going to I'm going to say got to cut the numbers. But before every surfer just jumps down my throat. Uh, the only reason I say that is so we can get rid of the elimination round. If we can figure out the numbers for guys and girls where the, there's no elimination round, just go straight into, uh, you know, just knocking people out of the event. Um, it might even add numbers for the girls. I feel like the, the level of women surfing has gone through the roof, so we can add a few girls here and there. Um, but with the guys, yeah, I think just finding that perfect number so we can just flow straight through the events. I find... Losing in a three-man heat is not on. I, I feel like it's, it's 
I want to see man on man. I don't want to see a three man here because there's too many different tactics that go into it. So look, I'd love to see the numbers change just a tiny, tiny bit. Um, I'm with you. I think we need that array of different surfers, but um, yeah, I just want to see the elimination round gone. Well, surfing as a sport is always evolving and that actually seems to be the theme of today's episode. And that'll actually take us to subject three, which is wave pools. Historically speaking, places like Lemoore, California, Waco, Texas, and Bristol in the United Kingdom would not be mentioned as desirable spots for a surf trip, but the times are changing. Wave pools are popping up everywhere, creating the strange new thought exercise of the next generation of surfers potentially honing their performance surfing skills without getting near the ocean. So for heat three, the question is, Will we see a new breed of wave pool surfers that grew up nowhere near the ocean eventually make it onto the championship tour? Nick, is this something you could see happening? Mate, I think I'm a, a glass half full kind of guy in this sort of area. I'd love to see someone come out of nowhere and learn how to surf in a wave pool and then take it onto the ocean and become one of the greatest surfers of all time. Imagine the story behind it. Um, we're seeing wave pools pop up in all kinds of places. You know, I think there's one in South Korea. Um, you know, it's, it's wild. Like how many people are they filtering through that thing just to see who's got potential to go on to the next level. I don't know when it's going to happen, you know, five, 10, 15 years uh, down the track, but I have hope. I have hope. Um, you know, we see skateboard riders from all across all parts of the world that come through. Um, but yeah, look, I guess the parents of these kids are going to have to have some cash to fork out some time in these pools. Nick, I like it. You're a little, little homage to Rick Kane uh, from a wave tank in Arizona. <laughs> um, I mean, that's what we're talking about, right? There's a lot of obstacles. Um, as you mentioned money, that's gotta be the number one thing. The other obstacle is a uh, lack of ocean knowledge. I mean, that's just going to be weird. You're, you're basically going to have to have this surfer go into their teenage years and start traveling right away. Um, which also is going to, you know, hurt the, the wallet. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of obstacles there. There's a lot of rich people in Texas. This is true. <laughs> well, and every Rick Kane actually needs a Chandler. So I look forward to seeing that play out in the future. And whatever happens for future generations of surfers in the wave pool era, one thing is apparent. These systems lend themselves to all kinds of surfboard and craft related activities. And for heat four, we're talking equipment. We talked about how surfing as a sport is always evolving, but one place that has seemingly plateaued is in the area of equipment. The polyester tri-fin board is what you'll see in virtually any championship tour heat. Modifications to that basic backbone of competitive surfing are really rarely seen. So for heat four, we're asking, will the typical board used now on tour be obsolete in the next 10 years? Ross, you're up. I think it will. Um, I, I know it's a pretty big call, but in terms of materials, here's the goal. You want, as a surfer, especially on a tour, something that's always lighter, faster, and, and nowadays more sustainable and more durable. And, and, and I think the future is going to be in different materials. You know, it's not going to be polyester with the old wooden stringer. Um, it's going to be something uh, that's going to last for one or two years. Uh, you know, that's the biggest hang up for 
for guys like John John and, and all these guys on tour is their boards get smashed after like five sessions um, because they're trying to have it lively, light, flexible. Um, so I think carbon is where it's at. I think carbon's the future of surfing. Yeah, I'm going to have to disagree with you, Ross. Um, look, we haven't seen a big change since 1981. Surfers are so precious when it comes to equipment. They're not going to go out and just do R&D in the off-season where they're just like going nuts on, okay, this is going to be the board because as soon as they go out in the heat and lose on it, that thing's in the bin. You talked about weight and stuff like that. There's people on tour that make their boards heavier. Uh, Kolohe and Dino doesn't like a really light board. Um, and and then you go into the epoxy realm and when they come in like solid heavy waves, the epoxy's too light, doesn't sit in the water. So there's, it's, uh, yeah, I, I think the polyester and the stringer and three fins is, probably going to last another 50 years um look i'd love to see change i'm actually riding a twin fin at the moment which i'm totally in love with but um i don't think i would ride it in an event due to the fact that there's just too many variables yeah i think i think you're 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 tripping a little bit here mick just because um i mean even if you just if you just go on the back of sustainability and durability i mean polyester boards are are you know they're horrible. They're, they're, they, they don't age well at all. And that alone is a deal breaker for me. Um, I'm sure it's been irritating for you over your career too, Mick, where you have this magic board and you're like, okay, this thing's going straight into the closet because you know you need to keep that precious board on ice. Everyone does that and they still do it. I mean, imagine if you had the magic surfboard and you could just smash that thing, do huge errors on it, land on a nose, no pressure dings, nothing. The durability thing to me is huge. And again, I think that is in, in carbon. Carbon's a lot, it's light, it's strong. And you can also play with weight. You can always go up in weight. That's not an issue. Look, I love the fact that, uh, you know, we're looking for a cleaner, cleaner uh, possibilities rather than polyester it is horrible for the environment um but yeah as i said i i still feel like surfers are just so precious when it comes to equipment until something comes along and and say one of the top surfers just blows everyone out of the water with this new equipment they're not going to change i will say um the best i've ever seen john surf in small waves is the last few months on these uh dark arts surfboards they're carbon wrapped um they're super high tech and i've never seen them go faster so this year um we'll we'll, we'll see some of this stuff come into play well let's see it <laughs> change the world john. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i like it that was a great one and all all for the world's best getting creative with their equipment when we return, a special and revered guest joins us for this week's Going Deep segment. Kelly uh, and, and yourself as well belong to the momentum generation. So that was a very big advancement for the sport. We'll be right back. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! 
Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome back to Getting Heated. That was a look into the latest Rip Curl film, Free Scrubber. Mick and Ross, we are in for a treat today because we are joined by none other than the three-time world champion, the patron saint of the search, and the star of the recently released Free Scrubber, the Tom Curran. Tom, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. Great to be here. Yeah, Tommy. Yes, Tom. Good to see you, Mike. Good to see you guys. So, Tom, let's start with you and the film, Free Scrubber. How did this film come together? Well, um, we got to go down to uh, surf down in uh, south of the border there, and uh, the chance that we had a, a great cinematographer with us, Andy Potts, and some pretty good swells, we, we got to uh, just surf and, and, uh, and get some footage. Well, the film is amazing. Everyone should check it out. And it actually relates to today's segment for going deep because we're going to take a deep dive into the singular topic that is on our minds. And you're the perfect person to join us this week because we're talking all about equipment choices. Championship tour surfers are almost exclusively riding thrusters in today's competitive arena. And the question to you is, should there be more variety of equipment on tour? Did you yourself feel limited in your equipment while competing? Tom, you're our first guest, so let's hear your opinion. Uh, my opinion is that the surfers are very uh, in tune with their equipment, and uh, I don't see really any changes uh, on the horizon. I do feel that it's really important for even the top surfers and anybody developing and trying to develop to their maximum to surf on different boards occasionally. Um, you see that Kelly, you know, he's been always uh, trying different boards and I think it's going to be a, a big benefit to, to surf on different boards, but mostly the boards are probably going to change just little by little and the materials may change in kind of the same materials since the uh, modern surfing started. And uh, as long as the waves are, are what we call, you know, high performance, the boards are, you know, they seem to fit in those conditions at the moment. Yeah, Tommy, um, you bring up uh, Kelly Slater, who I think is a, is a really good example of sort of this subject matter. And I think around 2005, uh, Kelly started really pushing the envelope with experimenting uh, much shorter surfboards. In fact, I think at the beginning, he even had that kind of blunted nose. Um, and I think it goes hand in hand with maybe some of the older statesmen on tour that have the, the liberty to sort of experiment. You know, a lot of people say, that has helped surfing as a whole because everyone's boards are much shorter now compared to say the 90s. Um, so Kelly's definitely helped that with surfing evolve and equipment. 
Um, but he's also sacrificed a handful of heats too, writing sort of like funky boards. What's your take on that? Uh, well, uh, Kelly uh, and, and yourself as well belong to the momentum generation. So that was a very big advancement for the sport because the boards were a lot more uh, kind of fine-tuned, a lot more rocker, a lot more flexible than they were before. What I found with that uh, was that the boards had so much rocker that they they were limited in certain conditions. Nowadays, he's leading the way and sort of taking those risks. Even this last event, he, he surfed the twin pin at Pipeline, which is, you know, definitely a risk, but he, you know, he had a I guess a non-elimination round there, so it depends on on the on the type of break that you're at. If it's a kind of a slabbing wave that has only one takeoff zone, then you're sort of more allowed to uh, take a risk with the uh, less uh, volume. Tom, I remember I hate watching you in a heat against Matt Hoy in France years ago, and you actually took out a twin keel fin, and you actually handed. Matt, uh, an exceptional loss. And I think it blew everyone's mind because you're on such different equipment. For tour guys now, how would they go through the process of when to change onto some of those boards? Or, you know, is it is it risk versus reward? Or will it be something that will just come naturally and you'll know exactly the right waves to go in and change those boards up? Yeah, uh, thanks, Mick. That's a, that's a good question. At that point, I was sort of uh, kind of moving away from tour life a bit. And uh, so the heat itself was not like a world title campaign heat at the time. And so that gave me the kind of freedom to just enjoy the, the heat and uh, I ended up getting the better waves. And I actually had a heat with him uh, recently and I was on a very experimental board and he, he got me back. So. Um, so it doesn't always work out. Yeah. And then I guess my follow-up question to that is if someone's going to go experiment, how far is too far? You know, you've ridden everything from longboards to, you know, hybrid fishes, and now you're playing around with skinboards with crazy fins. Like how far is too far? Uh, that's a great question. So the way I look at it is you sort of, you know, you either pass or fail on that. Uh, session. So if you're passing and, and that, in other words, you're, you're, you know, you're getting set waves and you're not you know, missing opportunities on the wave itself. It's a good way to simplify things. Well, I think everyone would give you a passing grade for free scrubber, Tom. And for anyone who hasn't seen it, make sure you go check that out. Tom, thanks so much for joining us on Going Deep. We hope we get to have you back soon. Thanks. It's great to, to be with you guys. Yeah, Tommy. Thanks, Tom. So that's it. That's a wrap for this week's edition of Getting Heated. Guys, thanks so much for joining us, and we'll see you next week. Cheers, Dave. And uh, yeah, anyone's got any comments, please send them to Tom. Nobody mess with Tom. You can't mess with a kerfuffle. <laughs>